So we're here podcasting. We got Gabe Otto and we got Brett Sedell on the remote. Gabe Otto, the way we met kind of leads into the, how I wanted to talk about this album. So we first met, or at least officially, when we invited you to be our ersatz David Byrne for a performance that we dubbed Talking Heads Deconstructed. That's right. Yeah, that was about four years ago, that one was. Uh, we had met previously, you know... Uh, just really quickly backstage at your shows before that but it was the only time that we'd really you know we it was the first time we'd really had a lot of sort of like banter and got getting to know each other and stuff like that So the way that came about was um, Gathering of the Vibes wanted to book us, but they came at us and said, can you guys do something different, which is a little bit of a... <laughs> a little bit we of love a, you, but if you could do the Talking Heads, that would really be great. <laughs> well, well, they didn't say do the Talking Heads, but they, but it was the kind of the backhanded compliment of like, uh, yeah, fans said they wanted to see you, but um, maybe if you could do not what you normally do. <laughs> and make sure you start with that. That would really be great. <laughs> so we came up with the, uh, we, Jesse and I tossed around some different ideas and, and we ended up landing on the Talking Heads, which, you know, not completely original. A lot of people cover the Talking Heads, but uh, we wanted to do it with slightly our own spin. And um, our percussionist, Chuck, recommended Gabe and he's got the added bonus of slightly resembling a young David Byrne. So <laughs> that was a... Uh, and you got the you got the same like tenor range, so I don't know. It was a good. I've never good heard match. any of that stuff before. That was the first time. In <laughs> you hadn't done. No, any I'm just kidding. That I'm just kidding. Oh, no, okay. I'd never, I'd never um, actually. I was making fun of what Luke was saying because people had told me that I reminded them of David Byrne since I was like 17 years old. You know, since I've been just out of high school, playing shows at gigs where I didn't even know who David Byrne. I knew who he was, but. I, I didn't know what, what he acted like on stage or anything. So when people would always say that to me, I was like, well, what does this guy do? So I looked at what he was doing, and then I watched Stop Making Sense. And I said, I look like that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that guy's super weird. Um, and he's but Has my jacket been this ill-suited for me for yeah. this long? <laughs> yeah, I must wear clothes that are way too big for me on stage. <laughs> no, he... Um, but I was super honored by it because... After that, I started to look into the music. And um, anyway, back to today, uh, working with Lotus as as a singer for Talking Heads was a, an, an easy segue for me because of what Luke said. I have a similar sort of range as as he does, and I have a strange kind of stage presence. Um, I'm very spontaneous and a little goofy. Uh, just you know, I think he's really fearless on stage, and that, that's a, that's a cool thing. Um, so it was it was for me it was just like a cathartic uh, opportunity, you know, like, like a, for for a live performance, and just be able to let go of any sort of preconceived um, way that you're supposed to act and just do whatever comes natural. Um, 
Did you have pre did you have pressure to be like him, or could you be you up there, knowing that you already look like him? Because it really it, we, there was people back during the gathering, the vibe set, which of course I was at, and people were absolutely loving it, and they kept asking if it was David Byrne. Right. I mean, they they really, and not only asking, people were very certain of it. Right. So I didn't know if you were just being you, and you just <laughs> happened to be him, or you were just a kicking ass at impersonating. Uh, well, I had I hadn't really studied anything beforehand of like watching his moves i'd known about them for a long time just because of all the years of people telling me so i think i sort of accessed some of those things in my mind as i would perform and sort of hint at it you know occasionally i would bring out one of his sort of stock moves and everybody would be like oh there it is but his then, shoulders went up yeah or something <laughs> and, and and then i would just go into my own thing like falling on the ground and freaking out or something um <laughs> is that your move that's your move i mean david byrne has white hair now it's like i look nothing like the man anymore but i, t I gotta say though uh he's a good looking man i hope i can turn out like that when i'm his age <laughs> this is the gm band scene though so <laughs> right uh, little, little things like completely wrong hair color that that's you know off the yeah, table it's true he could have dyed it black again you know well, I didn't want to tell people that it obviously was not David Byrne. Right, right. Like, I didn't want to just shut <laughs> down this person who's sw swirling around yeah. in circles. Like, I can't believe yeah. it's him. Like, Don't it's ruin the fun. <laughs> somebody a third his age. Right. <laughs> it's, cool. Yeah. it's cool. Have fun. No, it was an honor. Such an honor. So what I remember from that gig was, you know, we had um, rehearsed a few times before, but, you know, we're going in with this basically brand new set. You know, we spent... 15 years working up all this other material. And then it was like, boom, hit this festival with all new stuff. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Gathering of the vibes. <laughs> but, um, uh, the person on before us, do you remember? Yeah. John Very fucking well. Fogarty. Yeah. And he goes up there and he just plays hit after hit <laughs> after yeah. hit. And then he stops yeah. his set and you're like, Oh my God, how does he have any more hits? And he comes out for the encore and he plays like his biggest hit yet. And yeah. I was like, I, we're going to follow this with stuff right. we've never performed before. He honestly did Credence's greatest hits album yeah. and then left the stage. The place went bananas. I remember. Yeah. So was I, great. I, I was sweating it a little bit. I'm like, Oh man. Uh, you know, usually I'm not too nervous before the shows, but that yeah. one I was like, Oh man, we gotta, we gotta do it right. Following Fogarty here, but uh, luckily Seriously. the the crowd was when we did the talking head stuff. They went bonkers. Yeah, I mean to have a John Fogarty as your warm up act is kind of like, oh, I don't know. You just can't lose in a way because everybody's just jacked up and ready to go. We came out and just blew it out of the water. I thought, you but know? I think having John Fogarty playing classic stuff actually lent itself into talking heads for sure fogarty to regular lotus is a fucking leap i'm gonna <laughs> tell you what man that fogarty was through yeah. classics the talking head classics yeah. there was a natural kind of progression there that's that people the were excited to hear yeah that that is true i'm i'm but i think in my mind it was like uh you know following this something where everybody knows every single word but then i think you're right it did it did lend itself well because it was a bit more of a dance party and um yeah anyway so this leads into the album that we're going to talk about it was because based on that feeling that, you know, the crowd was singing along to all these talking head songs and um, on stage, it was just a very um, exuberant environment to be in. And um, that's kind of a, a feeling we wanted to capture for this album with the vocals. It was, I wanted songs where like you could have that in the audience where everyone knew all the words. And so that kind of leads us into this album. This album came out in July, 2016 
So let, let's kind of just get, that's not too long ago, so we don't have to, you know, use a ton of imagination to get back there. But um, I looked up a couple of things. It was that terrible time when the two most unpopular presidential ca- candidates were nominated for their respective parties. That happened in July. Pokemon Go was was hot on the scene. Jeez. Oh, yeah, that was good times. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like ancient history, Pokemon Go? I love Go? walking really out my does. window, well, seeing people wandering around <laughs> the middle of the street. There was a, I was actually reminded of Pokemon Go very recently by the one and only Dave Chappelle in his yeah. new special. Did you see his I new special? I didn't see it, no. It's on Netflix and he has this joke um, about the Amish and he references Pokemon Go. <laughs> and it. Did, did you see that, Brett? Of course. And then he very quickly, he's like, there's like a little Pokemon over the Amish's guy's shoulder. Exactly. <laughs> it, got it. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah. I don't know when this was shot, but it was kind of one of those uh, parts of a joke they're like uh, this maybe should have like been taken out for time reasons it doesn't I mean I I hate to tell you but if Pokemon Go wasn't as big of a deal at that time you would have sold probably one to ten million more records <laughs> <laughs> it was like all all the spotlight would have been on this album because no one was not doing Pokemon Go I mean maybe besides the three of us but that was an right. absolute phenomenon that people thought were going to last forever and I last wish it was still here that was a lot of fun to watch <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun to watch. You and Dave Chappelle still wish. Oh, man, it was a good time. Have you ever done any shows with Dave Chappelle? Does he uh, pop I into have, any of those? Uh, I have accidentally uh, opened up for him. He would hate that I said that. It's a sh- Sometimes these huge megastars just show up, and then the whole bill is cleared. You know, If Dave Chappelle wants to do two, three, even up to seven hours, which he has done before, it's not like I'm going to go on. <laughs> so sometimes you get lucky and you go on earlier in the show. And then someone like Dave Chappelle or Jerry Seinfeld has shown up. So I have actually done a show at the Laugh Factory before Dave Chappelle went on. And I was very happy about that. That's, you know, that's the factory. up for him. <laughs> that's the factory out in Los Angeles? Laugh Factory, yeah, right on Sunset. Uh, it's actually right across the street from where I used to live right after school. So I used to try and drop by whenever I could just for that. Even, even if I wasn't going up, just in case that happened. And it's a magical spot, that whole Sunset Strip comedy scene for certain. I've only seen Dave Chappelle one time. I saw him here in Denver at the Comedy Works, which is a little... Um, Comedy Works has a great history to it, though, for certain. Yeah, and it's he was doing he was getting ready to go on tour for the first time after not doing right. anything for 10 years. So he, he booked, I don't know, like two weeks at the Comedy Store, or not the Comedy Store, the Comedy Works here in Denver. And uh, I was able to get tickets and uh, sat in the front row of, Ooh. of this 200 person club, Dave Chappelle just chain smoking the entire time inside, which, you know, it's illegal for everybody except for Dave Chappelle. Should have picked the 10th row, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was kind of regretting getting, you know, getting in line early for that experience. Front row. Did he get on your case at all? Did he pick on you? Uh, he did not. He did like the first 45 minutes were his prepared material. And it, you know, it killed. And then like he did another hour 15 of just off the cuff. And it like, progressively got slower and worse and less funny. <laughs> and like, you know, he went for two hours and by the end I was like, Oh man, it would have almost been better if he would have stopped after 45. And then of course he does, did the infamous, uh, which he is known to do invite everyone at the club to the strip club with him, uh, which I, I passed on. I, I, I don't know. Well, I, you have to say that in this podcast, but we'll ask you off the air. <laughs> Now, you have to you see, though, uh, before we get back to Lotus with Dave Chappelle, he did two weeks in Denver because he knows that's where all the stoners are. So they're going to laugh at two hours of even if it gets into into drivel by the end. 
but he needs to work that stuff out. The last time I saw him live, live was here in New York and he did an hour by himself. And then about 45 minutes with Chris Rock, they would just take a topic and go back and forth. And the comics in the crowd, like me, were just completely losing their minds, jaw dropped. Like it would be like for you guys, like musicians, just seeing like the craziest combination show up randomly at a show, like Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder just show up. And as a musician, you're like, how are we supposed to deal with this exactly? Crazy, crazy stuff. That's amazing. So that was at that uh, Radio City string? Yeah, so he did a show at the Gramercy Theater a little bit before that. Before he, you know, he's got this awesome history of which I'm trying to do with with wokes with jokes of trying to really incorporating the comedy scene and the music scene, which he loves. He's been doing block parties and having the Fugees play for 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 decades now, and just intertwining the two and realizing that a lot of people love both. Absolutely. So we started working on demos for these. Uh for these songs in kind of that mode where it's like, let's, let's do an album just full on with uh, vocals on every track, which we had never done before. Oh, so that was really sourced in that, that show and that setting, huh? Cause obviously you can hear the influence and it sounds great, but I didn't know how much was already inside of you or that show really brought it out of you guys. Well, I would say the talking heads have always been one of our biggest influences is just in as far as like those grooves and stuff. But uh, that extra element, that vocal element and people singing along was kind of the additional push for this album in particular. Specifically, the Talking Heads album, Remain in Light, which I think we'll probably talk about further on as we go through these tracks. Um, so should we jump into the first track? On, uh, I would love to. So, As much as I love talking to you guys, I also love this album. <laughs> so. so it kicks off with Fearless and... Um, this, the album kind of kicks off with just uh, this disco beat with the congas going and then comes in with kind of a disco guitar. And for me, I, I wrote this song and um, it's, it's always kind of hard picking what the first track is going to be. We, we wrote 15 tracks for this album. We ended up using 10. And um, I thought the intro of Fearless and like the tempo kind of was a just like an opening salvo being like, okay, here's the, the, you get the feeling of the whole album right away. It's like, okay, we're going to be, you know, referencing kind of this like disco beat. Um, but there's going to be like a fun party element to it. That's always got to be tough to choose the first song. That's just, but it does. It's a, it's a disco funky beat and the lyrics don't take too long to get in. So you kind of get an idea right away, but you're already boogieing in 10 seconds. Which is great. Right. It is a dance track for sure. And the melody that the vocals bring out is so compelling. I think it's just so natural feeling. When I listen to that song in particular, everything just really fits together the way it seems like it's supposed to. There is another group here. Sorry, Luke, I have to tell you this before it starts off. There's another uh, act that I think this song reminds me of really purely, and it's not Talking Heads. And once you play some of it, I'd like to mention that to you guys and see if you guys agree. Well, could we could we take a guess? Do, do you have a guess on what he's thinking, Gabe? Well, um, I think Jamiroquai has a little yeah, bit. Yeah, okay, great. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so you're Thank not- God, I'm glad that I wasn't just going to say that, and the two people who like made these tracks are like, you're an idiot. That's completely no. inaccurate. By the time it gets to Fearless, like the actual hook, I mean, this is a Jamiroquai, which is amazing, because there's not that much stuff that sounds like him, to be honest. No, and um, obviously you're not the, not the first person to say that. Uh, when right. the, when Mutlu, who did the vocals on this track, came in, that's one of the first things he said is it reminded him of Jamiroquai. 
And uh, I, I do have to say, when I was writing the track, Jamiroquai, I was not thinking of Jamiroquai. That kind of just happened by happenstance. But what I was thinking of, which is kind of the same style of Jamiroquai, is that I wanted to take these disco elements and kind of put a modern spin on them, which is, I think, where the uh, Jamiroquai comparisons that come in and, and are very apt. Yeah, I think this song opens the album well in that it brings the vibe of the album. It kind of brings everything together. It has a laid back feeling as well as an up feeling. Whereas like the second part of the album, I feel like is, is a lot more sort of down tempo. And the beginning of the album is really up tempo. And I think the song brings kind of both of those together, marries both of those feelings really well. I just want to talk about the way the guitars mix and I'm a, such a nerd about the mix of a song. I just feel like those guitars, those rhythm guitars in that particular song, there's something that magic that happens with those. Um, I don't know if it's the tones that you and Rempel are using, Luke, but it's just beautiful. They're panned kind of hard left and right. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I can't remember the panning. It's like, it's beautiful. It's definitely... I do have to say that I think that I did not play a single note of guitar on this album. So that's all Rempel. It's both. Okay. Um, we might've doubled him up, but, um, I, yeah, I, th I think Rempel did all the guitar on this album and I ended up doing a lot of keyboards. Yeah. Super unique. Um, yeah, I did write that part. So I was kind of going for that. Just that like funky octave thing where it's like, you know, less is more on the guitar. Right. Um, for me, the hardest part of writing this was the bass part. Um, it's a synth bass part. I basically threw the kitchen sink at it with uh, <laughs> with all the slides and LFO modulations. Yeah. I didn't want it to be Skrillex, but um, you know, I wanted that like busy bass kind of going on. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a different sounding synth than the rest of the album. The bass synth is um, so it sets it apart from the rest of the album that way a little bit. But the way it moves is very similar to Jesse. And the way he plays bass. So that's interesting that you wrote that part. Um, and then the viola comes in in the middle. Yeah. And uh, I don't, do, you read review, do, you, do you read reviews of your albums when they come out? Never, ever, ever. Just kidding. Are you being serious? <laughs> There's no way that you guys don't. Everyone says you're not supposed to, and then obviously everyone does. I was, under I was, the blankets lying, with a yeah. flashlight. It's definitely <laughs> lying. Is a bold-faced lie. No, especially in the you know in the jam man scene, you're basically only getting a handful of reviews. Uh, we got a little more for this album because it kind of crossed over a bit. But um, I, I I forget who wrote the review, but one of the things that they said that really bothered me was like uh, they called the strings on this track canned. Oh, and yeah, I was like, oh. fuck you. We brought in a, a viola player. We yeah. did the whole thing. We recorded it to tape, and you're gonna call him canned. I don't think it sounds canned. It sounded really good to me. Oh. That as... means that the reviewer was actually wrong. Like it's right. it's organic violin and viola playing. Be careful They're who wrong, you listen actually. to. You kids. should review the reviewer. That's what the band should be allowed to do. Right under their review, you guys get to review the review. Yeah. Reviewthereviewers.com. That's what you need. You could send them a picture of the viola. And this is what a canned viola looks like. <laughs> yeah. You think this girl is canned? <laughs> Look at her go. <laughs> well, I so I wasn't sure what they were referring to in that. Um, I mean, we did double track it and stuff, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they just have really good canned stuff nowadays. But that's a real viola for... For that reviewer, whoever you are, will probably never hear this. That's just such an odd review, though, because you could say that you could like if somebody wasn't into this Jamtronica scene or whatever, or how that sounds, 
it would be everything but a girl playing violin or viola that would sound canned to them. It right. sounds so surprising and kind of like uh, almost contrived of a review. In a way, it's me. a bit of a compliment if you think about it, right? Because that means it sounds perfect, right? Like the canned viola has like very little movement from the perfect tone and the perfect, right? The perfect, um, whatever it is, the, uh, the note isn't wavering, you know what I mean? So there's that. I mean, I've had people say, why do you use a, you know, why do you use a pitch corrector on your vocals? And I say, I don't. And that makes me feel oh, good. That oh, that is terrible. Oh. I don't. I don't. I nailed it by I, myself. I nailed that. You know, <laughs> my friend actually called me out. He's like, you correct your vocals. You know, I'm not into that. And I was like, I don't actually. And he was like, oh. I corrected him with 20 years of practice. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, uh, what was I going to say about that? Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's in the credits. Like, we credit all the musicians that played on the album, obviously. So this reviewer obviously didn't do his or her homework and whatever. We can, we can bury that hatchet as of now. Buried. Um, a couple of, I wanted to play a couple um, little clips on this track in particular because it went through a lot of evolution on the vocal side. Um, I did the very first demo... Um, actually with the guys from Cherub. Do you know that band? Yeah. Doing the vocals? Yeah. And um, it was completely different lyrics and a melody and everything. Let me just play a little bit of that so you guys can get a taste of what it started out as. So it didn't work out with them, just for a myriad of reasons. Um, and then that was hot, though. Not gonna lie. Yeah, it's got a little bit more of an '80s vibe to it. I I liked yeah. what they did. It was just, um, yeah. I'm just not gonna get into why it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to dig into that, but it sounded good, though. Finally, once we got Mulu on the track, and uh, it really kind of locked in with the his like soulful vocals, and we get this other um, woman to do the backup for him on that track. So recently I was on uh, Netflix and uh, there's this new movie by uh, Noelle Wells. She was on Master of None. Did you ever watch that? I did. Um, she was in the first season as like the love interest. Anyway, so she wrote and directed this new movie, Roosevelt, and Fearless comes up in the movie. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's during this- What? Yeah, it was during this party scene. I, and I vaguely remember signing the paperwork. Was, I was just going to say, how would, you not, how would you not know that until you see it on Netflix? I guess that happens sometimes. Well, the way they presented it was like, oh, it's this little indie, you know, we don't have any money to spend, you know, well, we can give you a little bit. If yeah, no, Netflix is doing really badly right now. They probably don't have any money. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they need all the help they can get. I think it was self-financed movie and then Netflix picked it up, you picked know, later. Up. So that's why I kind of didn't remember. I like signed up. I was like, ah, oh, if someone wants to use it, you know, I'll do it for a nominal fee. But then it came in and it was, it was perfect during the track. It was like a house party scene in Austin. And that's, I was grateful for that because I was exactly the vibe that I was going for with that track was like this uplifting everyone's, you know, kind of like losing their inhibitions and like having a fun time um, at this party. So that's I, really cool that it ended up in a space where you felt like it worked. I think what's coolest is that uh, vaguely remembering signing paperwork turned out to be a good thing in this case. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Do you think that the scene was essentially like 
cinema verite, as they say, like a real life party? Like, could that have been them playing Lotus or is it just, uh, you know, this is the perfect song for this scene? I haven't seen the show, so I don't know really what the what the plot is or where and when it took place. But from what I know about movie making magic, they don't play the music. So I think it's like people miming is what t- they typically do during a scene. So you can still hear the people talking and then they dub the music in later. It's perfect for that. I would say that the theme that you just said of Fearless actually carries through the whole album. But we can get into that as we yeah. go through. But I feel like the lyrics and the songwriting actually all plays into that very same vibe, if you pay attention. All right, so should we go on to the next track, which is um, I've Been a Fool, parentheses, Toy Guns. Jesse wrote this song, Jesse the bassist, my brother. Um, the title has always thrown me for a loop because... <laughs> the uh, I've been a fool, which was what I wanted to call the song. It gets repeated during the chorus, so to me, natural, natural title. From the beginning of when he was writing this demo, it was always called Toy Guns, and he wanted to call the song Toy Guns. I'm like, Toy Guns is never mentioned in the song. Why is it called Toy Guns? Right. Well, he's still, a bass player, man. He's just not <laughs> thinking like that. Right? Still, I still don't have any answers for that because I'm looking at the lyrics right now, and <laughs> you know, there's I. I don't get the Toy Guns reference. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up, but I figured it was one of those. That's such a brotherly compromise. You guys just (laughs) put both in, which is hilarious. Well, why don't we name it both? And we'll do one of those old school parentheticals for people to understand. I I didn't actually wonder about that because he explained that to me right when he sent me the track the first time when I was doing the backing vocals on that. So you like, yeah. I had the inside scoop way back, so oh. I'm not confused at all. So do we have, we have breaking breaking news? It's breaking news, yeah. yeah. So Gabe, this is when Gabe first shows up on the album because you sang background vocals, <laughs> or no, you sang background background vocals mm-hmm. on this track. And um, so, how did you get the track? In the what was the form of the track when you got it for the first time? Well, Jesse, the way he sends things, it's nice because it's not always completely finished, and there's a lot of space, and he. He sort of he sent it to me in a raw format, so all of the instruments were sort of in place, not all the percussion, you know. But it was it, this, the track was quite spacious in comparison to what it is now, uh, so it, it was nice because it gave me a, a feeling of freedom in the way that I was able to sing, um, and I think he probably sort of mixed the track knowing what this vocal sounded like he was able to sort of put it together in a way and mix it in the bowl in a proper proper fashion but that's just generally how he sends me tracks when he does um and it's it's always really nice to to know that it's unfinished it put it takes a lot of pressure off of the you know what i mean the performance so yeah i could could imagine if you get like this completely polished track that's like um the term i often use is like vacuum sealed it's like where you take out all the spaces you know you basically like um, right. Uh, I don't want to ruin this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard to find yeah. a place to fit in. So, um, with the title, are you gonna you're gonna break any ground, or is that you think secretive meanings? That oh, are I have left no idea mysterious. what it means. He just was like, "Yeah, it's called Toy Guns," but I don't know why. And I was like, "All right." <laughs> oh, you, you know. son of a gun! You set us up. I'm sitting here at the end of my futon here. Oh, I, I, I don't have anything to say about that. Next question. No, I'm not supposed to tell you guys. That's what it really is. So there's there's not. <laughs> There's not a ton of lyrics. It's mostly just the same thing kind of repeated over and over. And um, I have a little something on this song that 
I think maybe only Jesse would be able to speak to, but maybe you guys will be able to pick up on this. Uh, it plays throughout the song, but it definitely happens up at the beginning. There is a little bit of a, a t- type of vocal sample that's basically like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's really eerily close to Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine, their big hit right off the, uh, as the start of the album, Head Like a Hole. And there's a very similar sound in that that it, I peeked up on him immediately. And I don't even know if it was intentional. Obviously, it sounds similar, but he gets a little darker in here. It even reminds me of a little bit of uh, Nine Inch Nails. Not the whole track, but here and there, and definitely that little sample. Yeah, there are those like little industrial sounds. I think a lot of those came from Jesse's modular synth rig. I think that's what you're hearing. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I mean, you did the sound. There's kind of a ramp. Yeah. As, as far as like tying into the lyrics, I'm. I I don't know if that's like a conscious choice. I think Jesse just likes to do a lot of like sound design and go for those cool sounds. And um, this track is kind of a kind of just a one chord thing instead of. I, I was trying to write a lot of songs in this album that kind of st- went more toward the traditional pop structure where you have the verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge kind of thing. And this this track kind of just goes, you know, we're just going to have one line and it's just going to be repeated over different elements. And yeah, the chord only changes in the bridge, I think, right? Yeah, it's basically just that one chord throughout. Yeah, it's a beautiful. I love the the, the synth in this, the modular synth work in this one. It actually stands out. Amongst the rest of the songs, this one I think is my favorite stuff he was doing with that. Um, and the bass line uh, is really strong. Being a bass player myself, I always pick that out first, you know. So I remember listening to the album the first time. That's what I grabbed onto uh, in this particular song. This is kind of Lotus's wheelhouse where it's the one chord groove. So for, for us, this this kind of feel... Even though it is a little more industrial and it has the vocals, <laughs> it's a little closer to some of the tracks that we've done, in my mind, previously, like Tip of the Tongue, where there are lyrics, but it's not in the in the traditional songwriting sense. But it, it builds a lot of energy, and I think coming out of Fearless, it kind of like, I don't know, it kind of gives me a little bit like of a darker, uh, like Cormac McCarthy, like For on sure. the road, like apocalyptic vibe a little bit. Yeah, it is one of the darkest tracks on the album, which is probably why I like it so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I mainly wanted to talk about that title thing, which is still a, still a mystery to me and remains so, I guess. <laughs> so I, I <laughs> uh, Well, I'm just glad you guys were able to meet in the middle and just put both titles. <laughs> this will make it easy. <laughs> yeah, yours is, yours is not in parentheses. Well done. But yours is still in parentheses, Jesse. Fine. Fine. Next song. So then it comes up with the almost title track. So this is Eats the Light, and the album is Eat the Light, which causes unnecessary confusion for lots of people. But um, when we were naming the album title, um, I thought it'd be nice to distinguish the album from the song, even if just slightly with that little S. And uh, I think Eat the Light seems more straightforward than eats the light because in the song eats the light is it is the thing that's eating the light 
And that just seemed a little vague for an album title for me. I don't, these are the things I think about. I don't know if anyone even cares. Of course, the song could have been Eat the Light going the other way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It could have been. It just would have changed the tense. I guess you're right. But the thing eats the light, Brett. I just explained that. It'd be easier to sing that way. That's for sure. That S gets in the way, man. <laughs> Can we just drop yeah. that S? So <laughs> The singer actually has a problem. Could we just write it this way? Yeah, the S is off, guys. So this is the the track that uh, Gabe sings lead on. What was the, was it kind of a similar thing when you got this demo? Was it in a more stripped down form? Yeah, uh uh-huh, same thing. Um, It had basically been realized already musically, but it wasn't polished. And what was interesting about this track, the way Jesse sent it was that he sang the parts, obviously like an octave lower. Um, and uh, you know, asked me to sort of translate them and sort of bring my own feel into it. So he gave me a lot of freedom to sort of play with some of the notes. I actually changed a few of the notes here and there and bent a couple of things. And then he'd come back to me and um, he'd ask me to, oh, instead of going falsetto here, could you actually blah, 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 you know, stuff like that. So we went back and forth a few times and that's how it turned out the way it it sounds now this um this is the track on the album that i'm probably not alone here right reminds me the most of the talking heads and when i first heard yeah. the um demo i was like oh boom remain in light you know my favorite i, I i'll say my favorite half of talking heads album because the b side of that record gets a little little wonky but um um let, let's talk about that album remain in light because yeah. that is one of my favorites of all time it's, absolutely it, yeah um the Talking Heads went into a studio. I think it was their, maybe their fourth or fifth album that they were doing with Brian Eno. No, I don't think it was that many though by that time, right? Was that after, uh, was Remain in Light after Fear of Music? I want to say maybe yes, but I'm not yeah, I think it positive. Was. But so, Eno didn't, he was, he kind of wanted a break from doing a record with them. Yeah. So initially he had said no, but then Byrne sent him the demos, yeah. and he was like, okay, this is a vibe I can yeah. get behind, because record, it was this really yeah. layered, polyrhythmic. They were kind of trying to take ideas about African music with loops and just do them in a kind of like the new wave sense or something. Yeah, it was a creative approach. I mean, they had done it on the album before with Izimbra. The first song on uh, Fear of Music kind of went there, and it's like, it's the opening track of that album, but then the rest of the album doesn't even go there. It never comes back to that point. And so it feels like that Izimbra sort of reappeared again in a, in a fleshed out sense. Right. Yeah. And then they ended up making all the, I think they went down to the Bahamas, this studio down yeah, there. Nassau. Mm-hmm. Nassau. There's a famous, that was a good idea. <laughs> there's a famous <laughs> studio down there and uh, they made these loops and then there's all these vocal layers. They just come out of nowhere. The loops kind of stay the same and the vocals just keep changing. And um, when I first heard that album, um, it blew me away. It was, yeah. It's just so, uh, just really sucks you into its world. You know, it like mm-hmm. makes, it's different. It, it doesn't follow that um, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge format. It just kind of like keeps throwing different yeah. things at you. Yeah while the groove just stays super strong and there's so many different polyrhythmic elements, they mm-hmm. actually expanded from a four-piece band to a 10-piece band to perform this yeah. live, which is crazy. Just you know, going out and hiring six more people with 
Adrian Ballou. Two and, bass players. Yeah, you know, the like, keyboardist yeah. from P-Funk. Let's get yeah. him in there. Why not? Yeah. Bernie. Bernie Morrell, right? Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Yes. Well, I don't. what I don't understand here, guys, is that I don't understand how Gabe's presence in vocals actually makes it sound so talking heads. Like, how did the song turn into so talking heads? He does, Gabe, you do sound just like David Byrne and you nail it. But it's those songs that you're on eventually sound very talking heads, even though it's just because you sound like that. Like, what came first, the chicken or the egg there? Like, did the songs start to bend around that you do sound like him? It's amazing how similar it gets when you're on, even though all of these songs on this album were created around the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. I, it wasn't about talking heads for me at all. That's just my natural sort of expression, how it came out for that song. And I'm a rock singer, um, primarily. I just sing very, I, I'm an intense singer. Um, so I think David Byrne, you know, he'll belt it when he's in the studio. Oftentimes you'll hear, you'll hear him just like giving it his all. And I do that too, you know, as if you're performing on stage. Um, and so I think there's that element of intensity occasionally that we have that's similar. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, I don't really know how that happened. It's just natural. Well, I will say that Jesse, I would say that Remain in Light is probably one of his top five albums of all time. So he's obviously listened to that sound a lot. And yeah. this, this, the tempo of uh, Eats the Light is, is way up there. It's at like 130. So I think that's actually where the album maxes out at tempo. And then from there, it, it gets slower and slower <laughs> throughout. But um, I think that gives it that, you know, that cross-eyed and painless vibe where it's like at that fast tempo, there is uh, the modular synth is creating that fast 16th note loop, which you hear right from the beginning of the track. And then um, eventually when it builds to the climax, you've got Gabe doing the lead vocal, Jesse doing the background vocal. They fill in like every single hole and it becomes this, this big mass. Yeah, it's a really big song. Yeah, and it builds, it's very Eno-esque in the way that it builds uh, with the synthesizers, you know, with the modular synth, um, you know, and you listen to Remain in Light, you can hear that there's a lot of that in the in that album. Eno is like all over that thing. He's not light touch on that album, you know, it's like his voice is in there. I mean, and then Adrian Ballou, I mean, good grief, he comes in and just paints all over that thing. Like, there's this perfect storm that happens on that album that I think does get um, sort of reappropriated into the song a little bit, but I think it sounds very Lotus myself. I mean, I, I, I very much think it sounds like you guys, but I wouldn't mistake it for talking heads or anything like that. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and no one would ever describe uh, Remaining Light as subtle. You know, they, no. <laughs> it basically banged on everything at 11. And uh, yeah, I, I think having that talking heads reference in there, you can, like you said, to me, it, it's, it does sound like Lotus. There's, you know, you get those elements of, uh, I mean, Mike's guitar solo on this does have a bit of an Adrian Ballou quality to it. You know, we compress the hell out of it, yeah. so it's got that really, like, sustain that never really dies off. And that's for the guitar geeks out there that can check out some Adrian Ballou's kind of crazy guitar tone. That's <laughs> nuts, man. Extra points for you, Gabe, for doing I Zimbro when you guys did this at Red Rocks because that's um, not English and right, pretty right. much inspired by the Dadaist movement. Yeah. And then uh -huh. through an African musical sense, and you yeah. still nailed it. Well, I'm about points. all those things Dada, African music, that's all me right there. So I'm right there with it. I love it. 
Thank so, you. <laughs> yeah. So this was the track that we actually put this out as a single before the album came out. And um, since then, you've performed it live with us on numerous occasions. Uh, for me, it's a super fun song to play live because the energy is super high. Yeah. What, what's your feeling when you're performing that song? It's my favorite song to perform with you guys live, even even over Talking Heads songs, actually. Um, I do think that it's because I had a, a hand. I think I'm a little biased because I had a hand in helping you guys with it more than with the other songs. Um but yeah, I, I love dancing to it. Like when it comes on, it's the one that makes me move. All right. So the next track is uh, Move Too Fast. This is also another one penned by Jesse um, with vocals by Johnny Fissinger, who is from the band Damn Right. Out of There's split between Philadelphia and Brooklyn. Do you guys know the band Damn Right? Yeah, you guys okay. just did some stuff with them recently. Some you did? Uh, well, Jesse produced their latest album, Zeitgeist, yeah. which is really good. If, if people haven't checked it out, yeah. um, check out Zeitgeist. It's great. I think it's fantastic. And I, it's, I think they're just going to keep getting bigger, particularly with Jesse's help and whoever else is being part of that. They've definitely got, the, they've got it all in there. It's there. Anyway, I love Johnny's voice on this. Uh, from their previous album, which was called Frozen Sun, they had a track called Halo, which was featured on Broad City. Have you guys seen Broad City? No. Uh-uh. Very funny. But in the episode that they use the song Halo, um, Johnny actually gets name checked because um, she's Abby is going through her phone and calling old people from high school, and she goes through this list of like twenty people, and like Johnny's like the fifteenth person or something. This list. <laughs> ah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, That's it, hilarious. It comes quick, so if you if you go back and watch the episode, um, listen for the that song and listen for Johnny getting name checked on Broad City. Sweet. Can I just say to move too fast is just a cute little love song. You guys have a, some uh, heartfelt little love and relationship lyrics throughout this throughout this album, which you know lyrics already are a surprise to a lot of listeners. And I was like, oh, this is actually quite charming. How cute of them! <laughs> cute, which which every band aspires to be cute. You know what I mean? It is it's lovely. It's not like you know, I'm, it's not going to make me cry. It's going to make me happy. And yeah, you're right. It is kind of a little bit of like a indie movie with the with the lyrics a little bit on that yeah cute like you said cute. it's cute no but you you get it you know it, it is it's there and it i was just surprised to see it as kind of a thread throughout there's really lovely uh, lyrics about about love and relationships in here, and you know it's not it's really not on the scenes radar that much. So it was I thought it was refreshing to hear, and it's actually fun to listen to. When um, before we started making this album, I kind of put together a group of of songs, kind of you know kind of a vision board type thing, an audio version of a vision board, um, and basically I just like wanted tracks that kind of gave you that feeling of california but how california is portrayed in movies where you're you know like riding in a convertible and the sun is shining exactly like that kind of movie version of california yeah this song his vocals you know they're nice and relaxed and they contrast with this sort of disco beat that's happening behind it it's a cool cool contrast yeah for sure i get that from it for sure I get that feeling a ton with White Light, Fade Away, and Suntan. A ton. Yeah. I mean, it's yep. definitely something that I've always loved about Lotus, but you definitely get that sort of tropical dance Very pop sunny. vibe in those, mm. which I, it, it, like people splashing around in a pool. <laughs> right. It's just the best. That's the, that's the stuff. I love it. Great. <laughs> nice. So the, the, the audio vision board worked 
We're done. I definitely did. So this track, you know, another one with a lot of modular synths on there. There's a lot of like little, we put in a lot of little things that I like to call audio candy, where it's like little snaps and claps in addition to the drum beat. All these little sounds that kind of um, give it, um, you know, you maybe you don't hear them the first time through, but they kind of add this extra layer of movement and stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a stripped down album or song, you know, in the beginning. It's, it starts very kind of... Um, nice and stripped down and simple and uh, the modular synth is doing all the movement and the bass is too you know like there's this thing that happens with the synth and the bass where the bass drops out and the synth does kind of just what the bass was doing and it's, I think it's maybe it was this song where I heard that um, but it, yeah it just yeah it, it replaces the bass in a way that it's almost seamless but if you listen closely it's a totally different instrument and it's cool how you guys are able to bring that sort of simplicity into a song, but it's actually quite complicated. So yeah, you actually just hit the proverbial nail on the head. This, yes! <laughs> this is my songwriting philosophy. The thing that I always strive for, the songs that I like the most are ones that when you hear them, they sound very simple, but they don't sound generic. So I right. think that's the goal is to like write these songs that I mean, we, you know, we've written some complicated songs, so we've strained from the path a bit. But especially on this album, we wanted to write songs that had very simple chords, very simple beats. You know, everything's in four four, nothing's in a weird time signature. But then the goal or the trick with with writing very simple songs is like, how do you make it different than every other simple song that's been written? Yeah, texturally, it happens for sure in this song. I just wanted to make note that if you do need somebody for a video where it is a Lotus song and people are happily splashing with beautiful girls in a pool, I am still your guy. <laughs> you, you can do the slow-mo um, opening exactly. the champagne bottle. The slow-mo belly That's flop. exactly what some of these songs lend themselves to. I don't think it should be the cover of the album. Your wire art was perfect for it. However, when that, when that gets made, I'm still your man. <laughs> all right. I, you're on the short list of all... Uh, yes. A lot of other male friends I know that want to be in that video shoot. Oh, I know, and I'm 35 now, so I'm sure I'm at the older edge, but I can still be in like the the, the shallow end, <laughs> 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 just waiting along, being a creep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next track is uh, "Sleep When We're Dead." This song has a more of a there's a little bit more of a rock a rock vibe to it. I think this is the first all the the previous four tracks are all kind of four to the floor kick drum just going and then this one kind of breaks that pattern just a little bit um you sang yeah. the chorus on this track right Gabe? yeah background chorus. well yeah it's a really layered chorus there's almost really no focal you know point on on um one particular vo vocal it's like a, just a big kind of crosby stills and nash sort of thing happening right yeah, I think um, because you sang on it, Jesse sang it, I think Chuck also He's sang also on, on it. it yeah. So they mixed all three of those vocals together to get that big kind of... I was so happy to see Chuck Morris on the on the singing list right here. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's got... A, he grew up singing it mainly with his dad in some sort of barbershop quartet. Yeah, he sings a lot. What? He's a great singer. I like his voice a lot. Can't you just picture Chuck in one of those like hats, the yeah. like the candy a stripe white suit, yeah. a little barbershop hat? We're, we're well, I'll have, be digging. I'll be digging into the internet now. <laughs> we're gonna have to make him 
wear that's gonna have to be like a halloween costume at some point yeah it's always a treat to sing with him live because i think our voices mix really nicely yeah we made the decision to do the fade out on this track it's always a (laughs) it's always a tough decision on the studio album (laughs) it's uh to do the fade out because fade out i usually think of as the cop out because you 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 didn't write an ending so you just fade it out yeah we agree there but there are times when you have to do it so i think the reason we decided to do it on this track (sighs) is because we wanted to reference the live show where like the jam will keep going but not put you know 12 minutes of jam on the album yeah so you have to kind of cut it for the studio but boy is it frustrating when a song is really cooking and then it fades out there's like historical (laughs) examples of this we're like what is going on why they're just getting going this is fantastic and it's it's done because they didn't know how to end it but at least go longer man and me by bob dylan it's like two and a half minutes one of my favorite songs ever they're just starting to jam in that sucker yeah yeah this song is built for a live uh, live setting it feels like when i listen to it on the album I'm like this is the live track on the album you know this is the one that feels like it's singing to the rafters in a way with the chorus and how big it is So the chords change and they, they, they bring some wind into it, you know what I mean? They really lift it up. There's a cool cool uh, change from the, the A and the B part to the chorus that way. Um, so I think it really lends itself. Like whenever I sing it with you guys, um, it you can see the effect that it has on the audience. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And actually, it almost always takes me by surprise. I don't know why it still does after... Um you know, a year and a half of performing these songs, but every time we kick into that chorus, like exactly what you were saying, it's like this burst of energy hits yeah. the crowd and everyone's hands comes up. I think it's the chord progression a little bit. You know, it's really cool, beautifully put in there. It's like, it just sounds really nice. Um, and it's 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 like a, a tension breaker almost, you know, because the Sleeping Where It Did is like, don't, 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 you know, it's like this one chord. Yeah, it's just like kind of going along. One, 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 one. And then it just goes, whoo. Yeah, it raises it up yeah. three, four, back to the one, and then it does have a does a drop, and it says the title of the song, so mm-hmm. which is um, you know the title writes itself in that instance, which is always good. But yeah, the the fade out is always a tough decision in in when you're mixing. It's like ah, uh, like because you, you, we get the same feeling too, where it's like okay, yeah, we're getting cooking. You want it to jam, and like I don't know, what do we do? Do we try to? But- shoehorn we try to like force an ending on this or just do that fade out but how does that work in the studio do you guys keep playing or do you and then you fade it out in post or do you guys just look at each other just like all right i think we're done here well we we just slowly step back from the microphone no <laughs> it's, it's definitely <laughs> we leave we go on a cigarette break and we let the engineers take care of that no it's definitely in post this this album was um definitively not performed live in the studio we had singers from all over the country we were working you know at had a singer singers here in denver recording in different studios and stuff so that was all kind of mixed together later so that's definitely like at the mixing board how are we going to end this song you know the fade out kind of thing all right on to the next track which is white light fade away another track written by jesse uh, this features the vocals of Steve. Steve, Steve. thank you, Steve. Yitzi Berkey. Yitzi Berkey, correct. He went from the swimmers, I believe. 
Correct. Uh, he went to the same college we did. I think he graduated maybe the year before we started at Goshen College, but um, or he might have still had one year. Anyway, we slightly overlapped, but friends of friends, and uh, he's been on a lot of vocal Lotus tracks in the past. He sang on Tip of the Tongue. He sang on The Surf. He sang on Turquoise. Anyway, he he's actually been the person we've used the most for vocals. Yeah, I like his voice, and I like how he bends his notes on it really lends to like a relaxing vibe this track has maybe the most percussion of any track i love the percussion on this track it's got uh um, i got that written that's, yeah that's my number one on this one ditto kiddo <laughs> it kicks right off with those timbale fills and yeah. um all the claps and bells and bongos. I, 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 uh, because of that, it gives me certainly what we were saying earlier uh, about some kind of a tropical beachy poolside dance pop vibe. But this one, because of the percussion and stuff like that, gives it kind of like a hot chip. Um, yep. When that kind of dance rock came out, it gives me that impression too, which I loved. You know, when Cut Copy was big and the XX and stuff like that, it, I get that sort of vibe as well, which is great. I think it, it really does have a, an up feeling, even though it's in a minor key. It's a, it's, compli- it's a bit complex, actually, when I listen to it closely. Um, there's wood blocks, there's, you know, um, timbales. What, I think there's even pungas on there, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and there, I mean, so many layers. And then, again, there's this cool contrast happening with the vocals where you have this beat that's really driving and moving. And it's a bit, there's like um, a bit of a swing to it, you know? And then the vocals come in and it's really, they're really soft and beachy. Um, and they, and they, they sort of like contrast with the other parts of the song. It's, it's, it reminds me of, I don't know, something like Gets Gilberto or something, you know what I mean? Like I do not know who that is. Um, or, or like uh, the girl from Impanima or whatever, like something like that, you know, that you have this gotcha. Brazilian feel. Yeah, it, you yeah. know, it's really, really beautiful, kind of rounded feeling to it. I could sip a martini on the beach to it, you know. So there's, um, like I said before, I was kind of fighting for more choruses on this album as a whole, and this song kind of has a half chorus. It doesn't really have a vocal chorus. It kind of just says "We fade away," and then uh, it's more the instruments are in the chorus than like the vocals yeah that bridge almost feels like the chorus where the we fade we fade and it goes into the it's, it's almost like a samba yeah you know? <laughs> that um and i think it works that way you know I, I i don't think it's a track where you really want a big chorus but um but you fought for that anyway <laughs> yeah i wanted choruses <laughs> I, I wanted well like i said when uh going for that feeling of everyone singing along. That's kind of what I wanted. I wanted all these like choruses where like the whole audience could join in from somebody who's in the audience perspective. Like we really need to be primed on that. We are, <laughs> it's tough for jam band kids to be singing along, yeah. trust me. <laughs> but yeah. I appreciate the effort, but I'm, I, I can see how some of these, uh, if you're shooting for a whole chorus and you meet in the middle, that makes sense to me too. All right, so then we get into Anti-Gravity, which is a song that I wrote, and the vocals were formed by Oriel Poole, who is a singer-songwriter out of the now Los Angeles area. I met her when she was 
in Philadelphia going to college. And Brett, you said you've known her for a long time as well, right? Very long time. It's one of those things where it's hard to pinpoint when that would happen. When she was in New York and I was, I've been here for, uh, let's see, 11 years now, there was a whole warehouse, just complete insane party scene here. And I know people are always like, oh, I was there when, but it really, back then it was just an unmarked warehouse and people just, there was craziness in all directions and there'd be brass bands who were on fire walking around the party like things that were insane and you met these amazing people that were really trying to come up in new york and i met oriel at at, at that uh that kind of scene and time here in brooklyn and i knew that she was going to do big and great things when i saw her do anti-gravity with you guys knowing that i knew you guys as well i was like what is going on worlds are colliding jerry uh, and I love this song so much, so it made it even better. If you guys worked together and the song sucked, I'd be like, oh, well, how am I going <laughs> to talk to these guys? <laughs> and I have to lie to both of them instead of just one of them. But I love it. I think it's great. So that's that's so funny that you met her at that kind of warehouse scene. It didn't have anything to do with the jam band scene at all? or it was Nothing. Nothing at all. When, when I saw that she was on this, it, I just... Yeah, it made sense in retrospect, but had no idea that that would be a thing that could even happen. I knew that she had sung. She sang on some of these like crazy events that we'd have, you know, like warehouse parties and boat rides around. And she would sing along with like house DJs and it was nuts and it was beautiful. But I just never made that connection. It was great to see this happening. Wow, that's so cool. It, it, it kind of the connections all come from different spots. Yeah. And, and this I mean, again, I it makes it even better that I love this song and that's just me, but I know I love a lot of people that love it and it just makes it that much better. In my opinion, this is what I was looking for out of Lotus when they were introducing a lot of lyrics and singing to the song. Like all of it is just so great. And then this is the kind of like swinging my hips back side to side that I I knew you guys had it in you and it it was so happy to hear. This track kind of grew from me doing a lot of Luke the Knife stuff and I was doing a lot of new disco mixes and stuff. So I wanted to write a song kind of in that vibe. Um, like I said, keep it very simple, but you know, make it sound not generic. So there's the same chord change to the whole song. It's just right, yeah. E minor, D major, A major. So it's just verses, chorus, bridge, everything is the exact same chord change. So there's a B part too, which is really cool. Right, but it's the same chords. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's cool. If you it's love that, great, yeah. if you like that, then it's perfect. And yeah. then, of course, if some people don't vibe with that, it's the whole song, so it's not going to be your favorite. But if you do, you are locked and loaded from the first note, no, I, and that's amazing. Yeah, I think she brings a lot of different... She, she kind of brings, like life into the track because she um even though it has like the same chord change throughout like luke was saying when you do that in a song you're allowing the vocalist to have some room to work with and to pull the song in their direction with their vocals this is a very vocal heavy track um and it's really very focused on her vocals it's i think actually the song of the album where it is most vocal focused um in that in that sense you know where the vocals are pulling the song along more and the rest of the track is sort of serving the vocals so i would say this is probably the most proper vocal uh kind of focused track on the album for sure and i would even say i would even go as far to say this would be like if i were like the record exec i would say it would be the single you know 
I would sit back and go, that's, that would be the one that I would put on the radio. Well, then you'd be thinking a lot like me, cause I really fought for this one to be the single, but, uh, uh, it didn't win out in the end, but it, we ended up doing a single push on it later as kind of the second single. Yeah. I mean, my favorite one obviously is eats the light. <laughs> I mean, that's just like super biased there, but you know, I'm, so I, um, I don't I always think like a record exec. Well, what you were, I want to, you're not a record exec? <laughs> no, I'm far from it. <laughs> I want to pick up on what you said about the the vocal being vocal driven because this was actually a big learning process for me uh, writing this album was, you know, previously being an instrumental band, you know, the vocals if we ever used them it was a more of a thing of just injecting them on top. So for this I wanted right. to, you know, I almost had to relearn how to write the instruments so you do leave that space and it, it it's yep. a completely different process and you can tell that that's what you're doing on this one this is what that's what I, exactly what i'm talking about when i listen to this i'm like okay this is what they're this is what i'm talking about when i when i perform music with my band pan astral like the way i write songs with with that band is is more like this right because it's it's really focused on the lyrics the texture of the voice usually the vocals are kind of pushed up in the mix a little bit more and her voice the way that it's recorded and presented on this particular track you're allowing like all of the like the timbre of her voice and the sort of the the character of what she's um what she's got you know like her whole kind of thing is really showcased whereas like if you listen to eats the light my voice is compressed to hell it's it's like awesome i love it just becomes another instrument yeah and it's more like an instrument which is i actually I actually love that too. Um, so it's just stylistic difference, you know. So to learn how to do this, I mean, I maybe I maybe will get slammed for saying this, but um, like I said, I I didn't really know that pop structure very well. We hadn't really done it with Lotus. Um, I didn't really grow up listening to tons of pop radio, right? Um, so I kind of put myself on a crash course, and uh, I went straight to the. Um, Spice Girls. <laughs> close. Very close. Divisive figure, Max Martin. He's has uh, the most number one hits of anyone not named uh, McCartney <laughs> or Lennon. But, you know, he, um, he worked with a lot of different people from, you know, all these big pop stars. And uh, so I mean, him and uh, now kind of the disgraced Dr. Luke, who worked with Katy Perry, they all worked together. And uh, I would go around listening to Katy Perry albums on my headphones just to learn that structure. So, I, <laughs> oh, you're the new Doctor Luke. <laughs> oh, I hope not. I love that Luke, Luke <laughs> Miller here is trying to just say that it's research, even though you were just bopping around to <laughs> to, to, to uh, you know Katy Perry Spears all day, and being like, "No, it's research. Back off." Back <laughs> research. Off. Totally. So anyway, slam me all you want, but I, but I had to learn. I had to learn those pre that thing about like pre-chorus bridge, yep. and I just didn't know I needed to get it in my system somehow yeah and it's also the way you recorded and presented the vocal too like texturally speaking and and in the mix and everything and allowing sort of the bass up to the treble in the way that her timbre works as a vocalist you you sort of presented that really nicely with that i've been in sirius xm so i've been in radio for about 11 years i was an english and poetry major in college not that i was studying a lot but i learned something here and there and there's something about her singing that is really surprising when you look at the lyrics because it seems so easy and kind of airy and lofty 
for Oriel, but there's words even in the first line like judgment and affliction that like are not easily sung in a beautiful way. And Gabe, maybe you could speak to that a lot, right? I mean, that's not yeah. that's not a beautiful word, not even just in its negative connotation, but just like the word itself, the sound of it. So well, the way to, she sings. When I looked back to the lyrics, I was like, "That's what she said. Right. That's amazing." Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Um. She. So the way she sings it, she sort of says affliction you know she yeah, kind of she brings the o. Yeah. she has a you know she's her voice is like specifically changing the the word a little bit in, in stylizing it right so yeah. oftentimes a voice for every particular well any singer is different right you know like she's probably um more comfortable singing different kind of vowels than other singers right and so, like, when I was talking about leaving the S out of Eats the Light, when I go, it eats the light, you hear, like, it's almost like it is the, is, you have to have that T before the S, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's really yeah. fast, and it comes at you, and you have to really, like, you know, pronounce it. Um, but you're also trying to stay in tune, and you're also, like, dancing, and you, the intensity's there. So there's this T that kind of bugs you, and that S right next to it, the thing. And so that happens, you know, yeah, you know, so like you, you get that with a lot of words. But you also don't want to perform it like a a show tune where you're like super articulation. No, exactly. So yeah, exactly. So she, she has this cool thing where she, um, I don't want to talk too much about it. I mean, I feel like we're just kind of pouring over this a lot, but she really kind of like. Oh, we should uh, make a podcast where we pour over stuff. Maybe that'd be a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Uh, anyway, she she's got a style, you know, and and it's like, it's really a, a beautiful sort of like relaxed style, right? And so whatever she says almost sounds like flowers, and and um, for me it's like when I sing, I can I can do that if I want to, but my natural inclination is to like hit things pretty hard. So if I said judgment and affliction, everybody'd be like, holy crap, man, like chill dark. out, dude. You yeah. know, <laughs> she says it, and it's like, all right, I'm gonna. Just sit back right. and enjoy this. Well, like you were saying, Brett, um, I I was really proud of how this song kind of, um, like you were saying, this is the the track that you thought Lotus had in him. And for me, this is the track where I think we were able to combine this old style of Lotus where, you know, you got Mike's funky guitar in there, but then yeah. bring in this new element that we hadn't really done before where it is kind of this, um, yeah, there's just that different, different kind of spaciousness to it or something yep and when i say that i don't even just mean lotus to be honest with you i'm a huge fan of this whole world of kind of jamtronic or whatever you want to call it the, this dance rock there's jam in it and it and it always has been a source of at least discussion if not argument about how lyrics and singing are going to fit into this I knew it was always available and i knew that there's been examples of it being great before but this is an example of it working perfectly in my opinion and uh, and then watching it live too at red rocks when oriel was with you guys it only cemented that not every time does it work and obviously my band tribe has it's been under a lot of consternation recently if it works or not this is an example of where the singing and lyrics can absolutely groove perfectly with what a jamtronica band is doing on stage well yeah it's good to hear you know because I mean, this was a, a big risk for us doing a whole album where um, right, having right. vocals featured, having, you know, I guess we've 
we are an instrumental band, but that's only because of labels. You know, in my mind, we are whatever we want to be, but right. but yeah. the, you know, the obviously you can't just like piss on your audience and be like, okay, this is the new sound now. This is only what we're doing. But well, yeah, I think you can limit yourself by being a slave to your genre, right? It's almost like saying, well, I'm a a white male, so I can only do white man things. You know what I mean? Are you and saying you're going to put out a uh, trap album pretty I'm soon? I'm definitely <laughs> going there. I'm def. You're going to wait and see, man. You got bars? It's going to right now if you want. I got, uh, uh, no, I'm telling you what, though. Seriously, I'm a big proponent of eliminating genre or borders of any kind, really. But I think genre is a, a problem in music today. It's been a problem for a long time, and it's important not to think of yourself in only a certain sphere, right? Um, so but I don't think we could have done this as our third album, say. Sure. Um, you know, we have that history of 15 years of music behind this because um, I've seen other bands come out and, you know, try to change their sound. Like and right it, away, yeah. And it just destroyed the band. Like the the Slip used to be one of my favorite yeah. early oh, jam bands. They were great. And they yeah. put out this amazing album yeah. called this, Eisenhower yeah, that it, was so good. It is great, yeah. But um, it, it just wasn't the it wasn't the funk jam thing that they had right. done before. I actually love everything they've done. Uh, me too. And um, I, but I thought I went that, to high school with them. They're oh, really? Very, no way. Outside of you guys, I, that this is one of the bands that I'm closest with for certain. Yeah, those we went guys in high school, and I, they opened up uh, from the get-go in our wrestling room, and there was about twelve of us there. No way. I was on less caffeine at the time uh, than I was <laughs> for your show, but followed every step. And thankfully, I loved Eisenhower. But you're right; it was not. It was not the three-person uh, funky jazz, uh, spacey stuff that they were doing before. People weren't ready for it. No, and it it. Honestly, I don't know all their story. Um, those guys are so talented, and they're touring now as the Bar Brothers. And but, but that yeah. album kind of, in my from my outside view, it like destroyed the the band because the audiences stopped showing up at the live shows. Yep. Even though that album was brilliant, it was a, it was just a turn Gorgeous. toward more of an indie sound. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think about the fact that because the real listeners will, and I'm always this person in the room when this stuff comes up. I would rather somebody try new stuff and then add that to their repertoire that they can mix in with the stuff they've already done. They already know how to do that. You know, uh, you know, when Tribe came out with uh, Universe Inside and, you know, even when this album Meet the Light came out, I mean, people were like, what's all the singing about? We, let them explore. Let them let them go as far as they can and they can meld it all together in the end. But if they never try stuff, we're only going to get the old stuff. Well, there's right. An, yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting thing about the voice, though, the human voice it really directs attention to itself. You know, when you hear a song, I think anybody, if there's a human voice in there, it becomes the focal point, no matter how you try for it not to. It's the human part, right, that you get. And there might be, maybe it's evolutionary, or I don't know what it is, but I think it becomes very focal in a song. And it takes away, I think for a lot of people, it takes away from... The experience that they have with this sort of even playing field that they used that they're used to when they're listening to a song, they're listening to all of the instruments kind of together, and how they're working together, and they're kind of on an even playing field. And then the vote, but but when a voice comes in, right, then it sort of demands attention. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I kind of pictured it like you were saying, Brett, where it's another spice that we're stewing into the gumbo. It's not like we're going out there and playing 
10 of these tracks, you know, it's not the whole set. It's, it's another spice that we're mixing in right. during the live show. Right. And, yeah. um, I'm, I, I, I'm actually always kind of surprised. Cause like, well, um, you know, we do these songs that we've been playing forever and, uh, you know, you got people in the audience that love them. You, you know, we kick into whatever, an old song spiritualized people are loving it, but then there is a different energy when we play these songs. And w- recently over our New Year's run, we were playing up in Buffalo and we played Anti-Gravity and it's a slower tempo. It's it's 110 BPM or 109 right around there. So, you know, compared to Spiritualize, it's 130. So it's a lot slower than that. We kicked into that song. The crowd, every single hand was up. Everyone was singing along. It, like I'm getting goosebumps right now from thinking about it. It was one of those waves of energy. Yeah. Like, so yeah, and it's it, so to me that's one of the new spices and like it's a different feeling that you can achieve with a track like that than the other songs that are, like spiritualize people. You know, it's a, it's a song we've been playing forever. It's been working live as a you know a killer track for or, you know as a as a set piece for a long time, but there's something that's more focused about this it doesn't wash over you as much it's more like in the front than being this like wash that you swim swim yeah it's it's a focal point man yeah it's a point if people can grab onto it and say hey this is a song that i know the lyrics to there's a hook you know it's very hooky as far as and yeah yeah i i think that it does have a place really and 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 that's why i think bands like fish Fish is particularly good at this. They have a lot of instrumental um, music when they're playing. Obviously, they're playing mostly instrumental, but then they'll all of a sudden they'll jump back to this focal point with the vocals, right? The vocal focal. I just made that up. <laughs> yeah, you well, like you that? got the guy noodling to the jam, and yeah. then they kick into the chorus, boom. and then he boom is he's, he's his, his head in. goes from twirling around to boom right on yeah. stage, and his hands are up. Yeah, and there's a there's a place for that in. Um, jam music a good place for it it's actually a big place for it you know you look at the, the grateful dead who you know arguably started it um is very vocal heavy in a way like the lyrics by robert hunter are really you know ethereal but they may have a lot of meaning to them or or whatever you know weir's lyrics are fantastic and you have this really cool sort of play between instrumental and vocal and it's it's like there's a space for it but it's only once in a while. I would say the big difference that uh, would serve as a hindrance or at least a hurdle for for you guys, Lotus, is that it's the timeline of it. The people who are at a fish show know when those vocals are going to kick back in. So they're, they're ready for it. They know, they know the jam, they know how that's going to go. Obviously the jam can go wherever, but they are ready for Fluffhead to be sung again. When you release a new album, it's going to take some time for that to sink in with people. So at the beginning, some of these shows, they're just waiting for you to play spiritualize or suitcases. And these other ones, they need some time to kind of let sink in. Even with the dead, I mean, people, when they see all these dead spinoff bands, they know what's essentially going to happen. There's not a lot of new stuff, obviously, being created. So they're kind of used to it. I think when somebody puts out a new album and it's something new, it's going to take a, uh, an audience way more time to really uh, soak that in, which I think speaks to your Albany show you were just talking about, Luke, where they got it now, yep. but not but not in the first month, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The next track is Suntan. It's another track that I wrote, and uh, this features Rachel Eisenstadt on the vocals. Another Goshen grad, another Mennonite. 
um, getting into the uh, musical mix here. Something I often try to do during a, during writing a song is is take either something that sounds happy and put like a dark spin on it, or something that sounds dark and put a light spin on it. That yeah. that that <laughs> that change is is something I always really like in music. And this track features a minor four chord. Also, I don't know if you know this, it's known as the Beatles chord. Have you ever heard this? Yeah, the you're talking about when she goes into that part that's um when she's like um It's it's, well, it's like ostensibly the, the chorus, but it kind of sounds more like a bridge. Yeah. Uh, now I'm twisted in the head or yeah. in, in my head. Yeah. That's right, man. I know what you're talking okay, about. So I didn't know that's what it was so, called. Yeah, this is called a yeah. Beatles chord. It's a minor yeah. four, and the Beatles used it a lot. Um, huh. A lot of bands use it. You can hear it in Radiohead and Creep. Sure. Um, it's 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 um, normally you would have a major four chord, and uh, often so it often goes major four, minor four, and it gives that like slight. It's just like a hint of darkness in something that's very light. Yeah, that might be my favorite chord progression in the album, as far as like any single part goes like as far as isolating one little part um and her voice is nice in this song really rachel actually sang with pan astral uh before i even met you really uh interestingly and i had heard her i forget how i think mike rempel actually introduced me to her and her voice really has this cool texture to it um it's unique it's relaxed uh, and it serves the song particularly very well. This song, Suntan, it sounds like sunshine when I'm listening to it. it you know what I mean? It sounds like that. I play the uh, the marimba on this track, so you get that like tropical clink, clink, clink. Yeah, clink. <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know, sometimes using tuned percussion like that can get a little cheesy, but I thought for this track, it really needed something tropical like well, that. Well, it keeps it mellow, you know, and you have that chord progression you're talking about with that minor key, and it, it's nice. It keeps it light. Yeah, I think you're allowed to do that when the name of the song is Suntan. And, <laughs> you know, you can have the, the synth steel drum or whatever you were doing in there. <laughs> no heavy distortion. All right, and then we got uh, When Our Nerves No Longer Twitch, so we go straight from Suntan to like some, I don't know, rotting, rotting corpse kind of like a title. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't keep us up for too long. Huh? You need to take us down yeah. Speaking of having lyrics that are dark in a song that's light. Exactly. That's, uh, that's an element on this one where it is a, a very bright sounding major, major key, but then the lyrics are juxtaposed to that. Like, a, is it about somebody who's like just getting out of a bar or something late at night? Is that what it is? It's like they're walking and they're sort of swaying or. You know. Uh, it's interesting because it goes back and forth. It's kind of lovely in some parts. And then the title track, you know, the title of, of the song. And then when that kicks in, you're like, when our nerves no longer twitch, it's kind of sweet and dark at the exact same time. Yeah. And I figured that out. I sent um, an early copy of the album before we released it to a friend. And she liked all the tracks, but she was like, oh, you should. 
that title really kind of rubs the me the title. wrong way. Even if you picked another lyric of the song, because the idea would still get out there, but something about nerves and twitching. You know, this reminds me of something actually, so you guys might have experience with this. I, I gotta say, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I love the song, but the, the title of the story for a second. No, keep going. Sorry, I interrupted it you. It sounds almost like um, like death until you hear that. <laughs> totally. Oh, my nerves are no longer twitching. That's not a good sign. <laughs> If you, uh, if some of the people listening out there, or if this has happened to you guys, I, I did some research after uh, Mystery Land a couple of years ago. I didn't done stand up, and uh, you know we were up for a while and having a swell time. And then my girlfriend and I were having like way too big of like those little twitches. You get those little twitches when you're falling asleep, but like sometimes they're like blah, yeah. arm, legs like kicks out. <laughs> Both of us were having like very extreme versions of that. That's funny, and it kind of and it, it kind of spooked us out. So of course I'm still up because of all the caffeine. So I looked it up. And uh, if you're really having like huge twitches after after partying a lot, what's happening is that your brain goes from very active to no activity so quickly that it thinks that you died. So it shoots electricity through your Whoa, body. That's crazy. Yeah. And it was a big deal for me to hear that because that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Wait, I'm, my brain is trying to keep me alive. I please, thought I was, please remind my body I'm not dying. Please, please. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for shooting that through me. I guess I'll stay up on Google. For the next time. But I thought it was a little bit for you guys. That's neat. Um, so this track, structurally, there's... Um, it does. It has um, verses and choruses, but it also has all these other little. The, like when it kicks off, it kicks off with the O's. There's all these little sections. It's, it's almost like an onslaught of these like little little hooks and stuff. Yeah, there's a ton of different mo- moments in the song, right? You can grab onto. Yeah, there's like an A, B, C, D, and E section. Yeah. yeah. Which um. Don't go to the F though. <laughs> it, yeah. it was a bit of a balance doing writing this song or um. I Jesse wrote this song, but I helped him put together the just the composition of it, and just getting all those little pieces in the right spot definitely took a little bit of uh, work. Yeah, it sounds like it would. It's a complicated song, you know. Yeah, and I, th- I think it, um, as far as like the way the album works, it comes in a nice spot because they're the two tracks before it are much simpler as far as like structure, and then it comes up with this. Uh, when our nerves no longer twitch and it kind of like has a bit more of a collage effect to it. Yeah, Jesse's modular synth on this song specifically jumps out to me in the way that it covers the bass and the melody in, you know, in one sweep. Yeah, it's jumping, mm-hmm. you know, at least an octave and a half. Yeah, it's really complicated. Um, I think when I say that word complicated, I meant I was just kind of talking about the way things were sort of organized in the song and the fact that that can sit in the mix that particular really complicated modular synth line and still like just like sound natural and feel good lends a you know it it makes me feel like you guys were pouring over this song for a long time like this would have been uh for me a nightmare track to work on just because of how much how much you would have got through it you would have got through it (laughs) Um, I, th- I think it's one of the most unique tracks on the album. For, sure. there, for me, there's not like a like you know with "Eats the Light," you're like "Remain in Light," "Fearless," "Jamiroquai." With with this song, there's not a quick comparison. It is a pretty unique track. Yeah, it's one of the ones that sticks out on in its own way. I, actually, I think um, 
you know, I think uh, Antigravity does kind of jump out too. It's a, like kind of its own thing. And the first track, Fearless, also has its... It, they could have been sort of singles on their own as well. There's like, you know, it's it's difficult to move from one vocalist to another. You know what I mean? Like you have all these vocalists on this album and it's really sort of like, I have to jump from this vibe to this vibe, you know? Yeah. And, and you guys had to keep a continuity between those vocalists. So like imagine it being like you walk into an art gallery and you look around and you see there's, you know, there's an artist, there's one artist and they've got all their work up on the wall and then you move to the next wall and it's a different artist and all of a sudden you're in a co- completely different mindset. Well, you guys are trying to make it all cohesive with with these vocalists who have very different types of singing, um, you know, very different strengths and weaknesses in their voices. And obviously a female and a male voice is a big deal too so you're you're mixing everything up and i'm i was really proud proud of the way you guys went yeah, about that like when i listen to the album straight through from start to finish it does feel very cohesive to me yeah um even though it jumps around with the vocals and for stuff for sure and it must have been difficult to do that i mean we worked we worked really hard on it that's for sure you know it, it, we worked more on this album than any other album we've ever worked on so oh really yeah um i wanted to tell you something there was a uh, so while this album, when this album first came out, I was working with Flowbots in a in Col- uh, Fort Collins with a really incredible engineer who's worked with like everybody in the punk music scene, uh, Jason Livermore, and he, you know, I was talking to him about your album that just came out, and I was like, I sang on a track and everything, and he listened to it and he was just like blown away by the mix. He he was and then that's saying something, man. When he Oh that's thinks, awesome. Yeah. So really I think this tra- this album is mixed incredibly well. So we did this album in Philadelphia at the Minor Street Studio and um so we we mixed it and we sent it off to get mastered and we got the master back. And then just the way that our schedule worked out with touring, we actually ended up sitting on this album for eleven months completely done. So what? Yeah, yeah, uh, which is really frustrating from a band wow. perspective. Um, but one thing that we were able to do in that time is there was there was just a couple mix changes. Sometimes after you master something, you can really pick out these mix things that you sure. didn't hear the first time around. It's true. But usually you don't have the opportunity to go back and fix it. So this time we went in, we did a couple mix changes and had it remastered again, which was actually amazing. I would love to do all the albums that way, have them mastered and then just do a couple tweaks then master again well now with technology how it is so accessible it's you can do that it's pretty possible yeah Mm -hmm. and it doesn't cost you much all right we are up on track number 10 so for me when i'm putting together an album 10 is always the magic number like at least for the length of songs that lotus has like once i get to 10 i'm always like that's it you know Let's not get any more <laughs> songs on this record. Oh, come on, Luke. Bring it to 11, man. <laughs> Take it to 11. I think I mentioned this before, but we actually did write 15 tracks for this album. So these were the 10 that we ended up putting on there. So that begs the question where the other five went, of course. We released four of those on an EP called Drink the Light. You can check that out for free on Bandcamp. And uh, we still got one left that um, might get released uh, which is a really fun track that we did with the former Motet vocalist, uh, Jans. Jans. 
Yeah. Ah, man, I love that guy. Yeah, he's got a great voice. So um, hopefully yeah. people will get a chance to hear that track pretty Sweet. soon too. So this last track is Sodium Vapor. This is actually the oldest track that made it onto the album. It was on, we had been playing it live in a slightly different form. I there thought was, so. Yeah, it was, um, I... I'll, I can play some of the demo f- or the uh, live version if you guys want to hear that. Well, I couldn't tell if this was definitely the first thing you played off the album or if you had been playing it beforehand because it was very recognizable before it was kind of like on the album formally. Yeah, we had played it, you know, maybe half a dozen times um, before and then we had kind of shelved it and then we resurrected it. But the biggest difference was the first version had no chorus. There was um, There was verses and there was the synth line and there was the outro part, but there was no chorus. So obviously, like I've said before, I was like, let's put a chorus on this thing. And um, for me, the chorus of Sodium Vapor is one of the highlights of the album. Let the music. Yeah. So we added the chorus, and uh, I added that piano part to the arrangement, and that kind of like just flipped the sound of it a bit. You know, we practiced this um, before one of the shows I was going to be singing with you. Oh, and, that's right. And we never sang it. We actually pulled it, and it bummed me out because of the chorus. Because I wanted to sing that, you know. Like, I, I really like this song. And Are you okay now? Are you doing all right? You know, I'm getting over it. <laughs> I'm still I'm going I'm to still therapy. trying to work with it. Yeah, I'm going to therapy. <laughs> but, you know. But, but that chorus kind of brings together the two themes of the album, which is cinema and light. And uh, those kind of go through a lot of the tracks kind of either mention light or like make references to movies or whatever. Oops. So on this chorus, let the, let the credits roll. This is our movie. To me, I, Jesse wrote the lyrics on that, but to me it's kind of the idea of, you know, we're all living in our own, own movie. And it's, it's always good to like take a moment to, I mean, that is a little bit of a egocentric view, but if you realize that everyone's in their own movie and like you're just an extra in their movie, like that's kind of a you know a, a good way to live your life if you can yeah. see that perspective. It's good to be Particularly humble. if you don't picture yourself an extra. That's a it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like it's a it's a beautiful image. You're you could play a much larger role in some people's movies, but you're right. I mean, it it uses our, and I think that's huge. Let the credits roll. This is our movie. Anyone you come in contact with, you guys are in the same film, and hopefully, you make that film as beautiful as possible. Oh, that's a, I, I didn't even think about that when it, it is the lyric is our movie you're together. Yeah. That, that is kind of a, a nice sentiment. I think lyrically, I love spe- that. yeah. Lyrically speaking, it's like the end of the album because it's talking about the credits rolling, right? It's like the credits are rolling here. Yeah. yeah that, is, that is track 10. So Luke has to call it quits. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the best albums have 10 songs. That's my working. Theory. <laughs> I have to say, I love that piano part. I have told you this before, I know, just for the record on recording, I think that's like, for me, the highlight when that, that piano comes in, you know, the records. Oh, I love that. You got to, um, it's the old keep it simple, stupid series. So, so just just, cl- just clunk those pianos Man, on right yeah. on the downbeats. Is that the only part in the album where there's piano? Yeah. Okay. You know, it's all of a sudden there's some piano. It's like, I've been waiting for this moment. Well, the reason is I'm not a very good piano I'm player. I'm just kidding. So. I'm just kidding. I don't care about piano. At least piano, he said it instead of one of us. <laughs> it sounds great. I got to say, I love it. There is one more thing I want to talk about, which is the cover art. Always a uh, difficult thing to um, 
figure out on an album is how you're going to represent that. And um, I actually made the sculpture that was on the cover of this. Wait, yes. Do you guys have any thoughts? Like, what did what did you guys think that did Did you think anything when you looked at the cover? Did that represent something to you, or? Well, I generally am only thinking about sex, <laughs> so it's like a sperm, right? No, just kidding, just kidding. It's, it's a, a, you're I, not kidding. I, what are you talking about? I, I, I didn't mean that. That, that was a very Rorschach uh, test. Can, can we go back? Can you erase that part? Uh, my wife might listen to this. No, um, no. Uh, I think that it's cool. I actually didn't know it was yours until today. Oh, really? Yeah, I was looking at the album, like, I was trying to read the credits, and I, you know, we're doing notes for this, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, what? Yeah. I've always liked it. I think it's the colors are really cool. Like, they really how big is that? Like, how big is that sculpture for real? So, for it's probably about five feet long. Jeez. Really? Yeah. Um, I wish if, if if I could tell the scope of it, it would be even more impressive. I would have it thought it was like, like like a little tiny little spermy thing. Like yeah, the, I know well, it's it's, it's so hard. Uh, I took I took it into the studio to photograph. I I wanted an album cover that had a lot of negative space on it, so it's like hard to represent the size of it and get a lot of negative space. I don't well, know. yeah, you wanted a lot of negative space, but the positive space to be filled with your work. <laughs> so it was a tough balance. <laughs> well. I, it's kind of small, but could you guys tell that there's a light bulb in yeah. the okay yeah, so that comes definitely. through? It's a little it's a little ominous, I'm not gonna lie. It's uh and I'm not saying that that's a negative or I disliked it. It's just like, whoa, whoo, look at it kinda looks monsterish or uh even a horror movie-ish in a way. Which Eat yeah. the Light sorry, Eats the Light, the song, uh, you know, gets a little ominous as yeah, well. It does. It's, it's a little bit it's a little bit there. of a horror track. <laughs> you know, it's bringing you to a David. Monster it's a monster and it eats things. Yeah, it's like David Lynch land. You know, it's yes. like I feel yes. like that song is super dark and awesome. I love the fact that I was able to sing on that track um, because I'm I'm a fairly dark. Music, you know, in in the way that I make music, it's a similar thing. But this this piece of art does have that darkness in the way it's shaped, right? But it has this sort of color to it that's really light as well. So there's that contrast, right? So it seems to be to me really reflective of the way the album is it has that sort of light and dark play so that's interesting that you guys said uh monster because um the two working theories that i often get told is that it's either like you said a sperm or it's an optic nerve right um, but what i was actually thinking when i made it was a creature so you guys were more on the nose than yeah. uh, those other theories well done. <laughs> anyway, I'm that not... doesn't mean it's not a dark sperm creature. All three of those things. <laughs> it's the optic nerve of a sperm. Uh, the next podcast we do will be breaking down what that means for Luke. <laughs> <laughs> a dark the next podcast monster. is a therapy session for Luke. Oh, God. Well, I'm not going to quit my day job to become a sculpturist or anything, but uh, it was fun making that sculpture. That I, was I like it. It's a bunch of wire in, in my backyard, stringing it together and stuff. Oh, you're cleaning up at the same time. Perfect. <laughs> Two and one. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for um, coming in and doing the podcast, Gabe. Thank and, you. Um, thanks for having me. Check Luke. out Gabe's band, Pan Astral, and Gabe will be on stage with us, I'm sure in the near future yes, popping in here news. and there yeah maybe we can yank you on stage one day too huh oh but to perform you want me to do a live sculpture while you guys play why not <laughs> why not as long as it's not a dark sperm monster coming to attack all <laughs> <laughs> you guys gonna keep doing the wokes with jokes series 
We certainly are. Uh, as you know, we don't know exactly when this is going to air, when people are going to hear this, but this has legs. We've done three shows before Fish. We just did one before Umphreys. Wow. Uh, several of these shows have sold out. Fantastic. As you guys both know, the scene is ripe and rife with comedy, and it's about time that real professional comedians uh, dug into that, and it's been going great. So it's only a matter of time before we shred the shit out of you there, buddy. <laughs> I can probably take it. I'll explain the title a little bit because people have been giving us a lot of guff about this. Wokes with jokes because, first of all, it fucking rhymes. But people are like, <laughs> they're like, why isn't it wokes with jokes? Yeah, right. Okay. But a woke, as you guys know, because right. you're sitting in Denver, yeah. Colorado, you're right in the middle of it. Wokeness. Woke is this whole new term of, you know, I'm woke as fuck. But a woke really uh, at this point is like a woke who thinks they're woke. So That's a woke funny. would be someone who only eats organic, <laughs> non-GMO grass clippings that died peacefully with its family and friends and a non-denominational minister around. <laughs> sure. That's what I have for lunch, but I'll snort a bump of K off a toilet seat for dinner. <laughs> right. And also breakfast. Those are these are the sort of um, you know paradoxes and hilarity that we see on the scene uh, that we'd like to unearth, and we will constantly. Awesome. Well, people can check that out in New York. I'm I'm, I'm assuming that's primarily going to be in New York because that's where all the comedians well, are. Well, you know, now that this is going this successfully, we're selling out shows. The next show is going to be April 21st. Again, this might be before it airs. April 21st. Uh, right before the Disco Biscuits uh, in Philadelphia, which is obviously very easy to make fun of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are coming coming down to uh, Philly. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. We'll pull a roots move and just go down for the night and come back. You guys New already York. have the the venue lined up there? We would like to do the Foundry because it's right inside the Fillmore. It would be either there or uh, Silk City, which is right down the road. But now that these shows are selling, you know, 100, 200 tickets, we're going to take it on the road for certain. Killer. Yeah, man. It's going to be fun. And hopefully, well, when we did Umphreys, Stasek was in the crowd, the bassist Ryan Stasek, and he was dying. You know, it's just basically roasting the people you love, and we're going to bring that on the road. And I think the people who have the heart to take it will sit there and just laugh their faces off. That's what we want. got to be able to laugh at yourself. Yeah. You have to, but not every musician can do that. You guys can both speak to that. Yeah, there's, um, I, I would say backstage, most there's some hilarious musicians out there. Tom Tom Hamilton, you should get him up. He is oh, hilarious. hilarious. For certain, well, as, as J-Rad keeps getting bigger and bigger, it's only a matter of time before we, we shred them too. Absolutely. And um, there's, there's so many, to me, in my mind, there's so many comparisons between um, comedy and the and jam bands with the improv and like the live performance etc. But we're we're we've gone pretty long on this, so that might have yeah, to save, talk about it next time. That might have to save for a different podcast. But anyway, thanks again, guys, and uh, this Thank is you. a pleasure. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Gabe. You bet, man. Thanks, Brent or Brett. Sorry. Thanks, Brett. <laughs> Not <laughs> you can edit that. <laughs> editing that in. <laughs> That's staying. Oh in. no. <laughs> I just stayed with my friend. His name's Brent. So I've got Brent, <laughs> Brent on the brain. Interesting, funny story to that real quickly. My best friend and I were like, you know, being nutcases in this party in Denver one time. And we're dancing around. There's like 20 people around us just watching us being idiots. And he pulls me and he goes, you are my best friend, Brent. Ah, <laughs> you son of a that's bitch. So my good. name is Brett. You, <laughs> you are not best my best. <laughs> His name's Walker. I call him Walter now. So Walter's <laughs> that's show. funny. 